This is the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. If you're suffering from analysis paralysis, can't work out who to believe, hate dealing with agents, sick of your parents telling you where you should buy, you think the market's leaving you behind, or you're just worried about making a huge mistake, then you're in the right place. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums, but it's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience to share with you. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you need to get without missing a step. This is your first home buyer guide. If you'd like to know how we can help you buy your first home and avoid a whole heap of nasty pitfalls, head on over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au, and there you'll find free checklists to download, a free mini course on how to price a property, and our where to buy tutorial for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Absolutely. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring stuff, the disclaimer. <laughs> Everything we talk about on the podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken into account your personal circumstances so should never be considered to be personal advice we always recommend getting the advice of a professional in their field of expertise now this could be a buyer's agent a licensed financial advisor or a mortgage broker depending on your needs the content you're about to enjoy is correct at the time of recording but things are changing on a daily basis so check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information episode we're going to talk through a first home buyer case study we've changed some of the details to protect the innocent but what we want to share with you are real lessons from a real life scenario and in particular some tips for dealing with real estate agents how to manage FOMO or fear of missing out and some surprise information you are going to find out about the reliability of sales transaction data in new subdivisions and new apartment complexes. And this is a bit of a doozy, so stick around. <laughs> Hold on to your hats, people. <laughs> Let's set the scene for this case study with a bit of background information. So we're going to call her Anna. Anna is a first home buyer living in Melbourne and looking to purchase in the outer suburbs. She's divorced and on a fixed income and has never bought a property before. Now she's been to a mortgage broker tick, well done Anna, to obtain pre-approval for finance and also secured a place in the federal government's first home owner deposit scheme. Now that allows her to use just 5% deposit with no lender's mortgage insurance. She's also hoping to receive the $10,000 first home buyer grant and the home builder grant of $20,000. Now, she's found a piece of land with an advertised price of $310,000 to $330,000. Now, the location of this piece of land is in, well, what Anna says anyway, is the more <laughs> sought after part of a subdivision. Might be what the agent says. <laughs> yeah. And it's like there's, it's a bit more expensive than the majority of the other lots, which had already sold for about ten dollars or $20,000 less than this, this one was advertised at. But weirdly enough, the site has quite a bit of slope. So it's not a level block, which probably makes it more interesting 
but it also means that the cost to build is going to be higher. And one company had estimated $240,000 for the build plus site costs of 25 to 35. And those same site costs may not be applicable, for instance, if she bought a level block. Mm. So the worst case scenario would be Anna's total costs would be sitting around 605000 and best case around 575000 But one of the things that is a bit opaque, there's a lot that's opaque, right? We're (laughs) going to use this word a bit in this episode. One of the things that's a bit opaque when you're looking at buying uh, brand new or buying a land and building a brand new property are the other hidden costs. And in this case, there are additional costs that she hasn't sort of factored in. There's a survey, council fees uh, and services, Uh, sometimes your build cost would include sort of getting power and water to the property and other times not. Uh, Line connections, internet connections. Well, that's very important things. All additional costs. Particularly if we're working from home. Mm. Uh, Driveway, landscaping, definitely landscaping. I mean, have you seen these houses when they're built and what they leave you with? Just they just raise the, like they they literally just raise everything to the ground level. It's it. Sometimes there's no trees left at all, mostly, and you might get grass if you're lucky. And so it's pretty hot, right, for starters. So all of these things. Um, do we mention conveyancing? They're just a few, but also you know a lot of these um, these fixed price contracts for buildings uh, for houses. You know they don't include uh, blinds. They might include the most basic lighting. Mm. Um, they might not really include much in the way of floor coverings either. So there's there's a lot of fine uh, fine print. Lots shall we of things say. to look through contracts on these kinds of places, isn't there? Yep, there yes. is. Now, Anna did some online googling because that's where most people find their information about how to make an offer on a property. And she found some advice, let's put it in inverted commas, advice that recommended making an initial offer about 10 or 15% below the asking price. Not sure where the advice came from. It's not ours. No. (laughs) I made a verbal offer at $280,000 on the basis of that advice. Mm-hmm. Now, the offer was declined and the agent simply restated that the price was three hundred and ten dollars to $330,000 as advertised. So she got nowhere. And she I think got that, nowhere. That's the thing she got there. a big bag. Ba-ba-ba. Yeah, she's made the offer. She got no response, no counteroffer, no nothing, and then didn't know what to do next. So she asked the agent to help her as, as she explained to him, I haven't done this before. Um, can you help me? And she hasn't heard back from him for several days. Now, Anna fears that she may have made a first home buyer Dumbo move, her words, not ours, by making an offer that was too low that may have alienated the owner or the agent. And she's feeling really in her words, she says, I, I feel really terrified. I feel really stressed and really nervous. And she doesn't know who to trust or what to do next. And she's also feeling a great deal of pressure to purchase because she's only got 90 days before her pre-approval runs out. And if it runs out, she loses her place on the first homeowner deposit scheme program. Veronica, there are so many factors at play here. And not one of them is actually about selecting the right property. No, it, it's sad and it's compelling and I do understand the pressure that Anna's put herself under and why she's thinking the way she's thinking because she's thinking this is money that's been given to me from the government. I've got to grab it all. And I've got to use it while it's there before yeah. it runs out. 
And I do get, I really do get the the five percent deposit scheme. I think that out of all of the things she's trying to get, I think that's the one thing that yes is is probably the one that's most in her favour. But the problem with that is that if you buy a property with only five percent, and you buy something that you a pay too much for it, or you buy the wrong property, or it loses value straight away, then you are behind the eight ball. I.e., you owe the bank more money than you could sell that property for, and that is the big, big danger with rushing in, trying to grab all the um, all the incentives on offer, and um, and within that 90 days and obviously to take advantage of that. So it's almost like I would like to think that she could open her eyes as to all of the possibilities, not just looking at brand new. And we're going to go through why that is a problem specifically and particularly in this situation. Yeah, and look, we've got a first-time buyer um, property principle that that really is at play here, and that is the biggest risk to first-home buyers is first-home buyer incentives, mm. and and the rush to take advantage of them means that sometimes they buy the wrong property. Now we'll explain what we mean by that because it's not as simple as saying, oh, you know, they bought a four-bedroom house when they really only needed a three-bedroom, or vice versa. Mm. It's actually buying an asset. And the problem is our homes are investments and we have to always remember that. It's not the, the end goal isn't just buying something and go tick that box, I can relax now. It's like then you've got to pay a mortgage for 30 years, right? So you, And most you, people won't live in that property for 30 years, exactly. Veronica. So there's an exit strategy that needs to be thought about. But, you know, scarcity is something that we talk about in in great depth and 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 it's a very important part of it. So in that particular area that Anna was looking at, when you did a search, you found that there was a fair bit of supply there, wasn't there? Yep. So so it's funny because Anna was sort of worried about the agent didn't didn't sort of she alienated the agent by making this low offer. And I'm like, and I looked and I went, hang on a minute, this agent should be jumping all over her because there's 80 80 results when I searched just for land. So, just for and, land. That's not even established properties. That's just land. And a lot of those ads for ad, land had more than one lot on the ad. So there's at oh, least right. <laughs> 80 blocks of Plus. land. And if you look in surrounding suburbs, there's 150 ads for land. So at least 150 blocks in that area. And add to that... There was at least one ad for coming soon, register your interest for a new subdivision. I'm like, what are you making? That's a lot of supply. (laughs) A ridiculous amount of supply. So it's like there's no need to feel FOMO. Absolutely none. And and looking at the steep block as well, the block with the slope on it is potentially a block that other people actually wouldn't want. So she's even going down the path of, of... feeling FOMO around a property that I don't really fully understand why it's they're trying to get more money for that one um, because it's more expensive to build on and potentially won't be as nice because you won't have a nice level garden. You know, you've got a steep driveway and then your garden sort of is up higher than your house, you know. Yeah, and, and that, that yeah, get practicalities there. How do you yes. get your garbage bins down to the street and back up to the property and, and how, how steep is the incline of the driveway and can your car do that without bottoming out? Like there's so many things to take into account when you've got a sloping block, not, not, not just as build costs. It's true and you can't walk down there to get the Uber in your high heels and it's just, you know... <laughs> 
such an important one. There's lots of really important, you won't be going anywhere because you got a mortgage. No, 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 no. (laughs) But the thing is that um, one of the things that you need to think about as a first home buyer, particularly when you're looking at a new subdivision, is how much more land is there out there? How many subdivisions are planned for the future? And I would highly recommend start off with a satellite map. You know, you start looking at that and you can get a sense of, look, how long is it going to take before all the land is exhausted? And, and you know, Melbourne is already 100 k's apparently from east to west and yeah. it, it keeps extending and there's more and more suburbs being developed all the time. So there's no lack of stock or, or lack of um, supply no of land. Mm. No. And so, therefore, I'd be very, very careful about... Um, feeling like you just had to pay whatever they tell you. And we will get to this this asking price thing Pricing question as shortly. we move on mm, through this. But mm. I think that's that's the very first thing is is the FOMO is is about getting access to the money and it's not it shouldn't force Anna to go and buy a property that there's heaps of and is easy to buy. Mm, Should yep. be easy to buy anyway. And, and it's that narrow focus. We're going to get to that in a minute. It's that narrow focus of just just looking at new rather than expanding your mind and looking at established as well and seeing what sort of value for money you can get in an established property if you just take away the incentive side of things. But we'll get to that in you know, a moment. We will indeed. So, Megan, what do you think we can learn from Anna's situation that would help get the negotiation back on track? Well, we, we have another principle, another home buyer principle, and that is that the real estate agent in this situation has has kind of shut Anna out of the conversation. Um, he, he seems to uh, perhaps feel that she's not the buyer for the property, but he isn't communicating with her to help her get, and, she, and in her own words, he's not helping me. To, to, to work through this process. And, and the thing that we want everyone to really be aware of is the real estate agent doesn't represent you as a buyer. They're not your agent. No. You have to understand, you know, they're legally representing the seller. That's their job. They're paid by the seller. They have a contractual agreement with the seller. They could even be the seller. There's no, there's no, there's nothing that says a real estate agent can't sell their own property. In fact, you know, they're, they're working in their own best interest if they are selling the property. <laughs> Very hard to educate themselves, but that's another conversation. <laughs> but they legally have to get the highest price from any buyer. It doesn't matter who the buyer is. They're not, they're not interested in who buys. They are simply interested in getting the highest price. That's reality. And buyers get cranky if agents do their job, but it's a complete misunderstanding about who represents who. Real estate agent represents the seller. A buyer's agent represents the buyer. A real estate agent does not represent the buyer. No, but the thing is too, there are different types of real estate agents. And this is, you know, we do in the course, obviously take you through all the different types of agents and how to work with them and the sorts of questions you need to ask them. But I think you do have to recognize that some agents will work hard you know, and they're usually the ones that will get a lot of money out of you. Um, and others are lazy. Others don't care. Well, they're and after the deal, this after guy the outcome. My, I presume it's a guy, to be honest. I don't know if it's a it guy. It was in it her wording. Guy. It was okay. he. Um, he. <laughs> you know, this guy might not actually care. He's just going to go where the easy money is. If he thinks that she's not a serious buyer, he's actually not going to engage. And if it's yeah. too hard to negotiate with her, he's just not going to bother. He's just going to focus his attention on those buyers that are easier to deal with. 
And that's the thing. If you if you do go too low, and and the advice that she found on Doctor Google um, <laughs> was was probably you know we certainly don't condone that, and that's not a way to work out how much to pay for something. Um, but for Anna to move forward, she really needs to engage with the agent. She really needs to get him on side to talk to him probably even reveal a little bit about herself so that he, he feels some sort of, not too emotional, but a connection with her that she might be the buyer for the property. Um, and it's never too late to do that, but it's better to do it before you make an offer than to throw a dart at the dartboard, get it wrong and have to backtrack and, and ask for forgive, you know, forgiveness. Um, so, <laughs> So it's it's important to be mutually respectful in that process of entering into, even moving towards and entering into a negotiation because at the end of the day, the agent is the only conduit to the seller. They're, they're the only one that you can talk to to get any information about the seller, to reveal anything about the seller's interests or motivations. Um, it's very hard with new subdivisions because often they are owned by large corporates. So there's no motivation except to make money. And if they're not making yep. money, they're, you know, they're going to move on to the next buyer and they have the ability to hold for long periods of time and, and keep their costs, you know, controlled. So I think that's the really important thing. And then, and I know um, I've spoken to buyers who've been looking in areas where there's, um, you know, a big corporation. I'm trying to think of the name of the corporation. It's probably best not like to reveal it. Well, they're just, this is a large landholder mm. who actually doesn't need to sell. They, they are a big organisation that basically only sells when the market's strong and they just shut up shop when the market's not. Right. They just land bank and hold it. Yep. And, and so they control the pricing. And the, one of the reasons they don't sell when the market's not strong is because they don't want to cannibalise their ability to maximise um, returns when it... Uh, comes back alive again, right? Mm. And so they are protecting their asset by controlling the price. And absolutely that. And, and the agent is, you know, he's like, you know, well, you're not going to give me what's going to make an easy sale. I'm just going to move on. And it doesn't mean you should just give them what they ask for either. You need to do a lot more research is what we're saying. You need to actually understand, well, how many more blocks of land are going to be released because this thing is not going to be worth what I pay for it potentially when I settle. Yeah, particularly if larger blocks of land are going to be released or more attractive or better located. Um, but, but I think the other thing that we want to learn from this, Veronica, is that you sh as a buyer, you shouldn't feel that the agent is holding all the cards. You know, there's there, in this situation particularly, there is a lot of land available. Mm. Um, and, and we're going to talk in, in a moment about opening your mind to things that aren't um, on the incentives program yeah. uh the established properties but that that's a really important conversation to have with yourself around well am i kind of um putting myself in a situation of fear of missing out when in fact i'm i'm not missing out there is a lot more out there for me to look at rather than just this piece of land so kind of weighing those things up and and then deciding well is this is this a good enough opportunity for me to move forward with at a certain price if it is then interact respectfully with the agent, get them on side, talk to them, share a little bit about yourself to give you a personality, um, exhaust <laughs> the negotiation process and walk away. Go to the next piece of land because there is plenty of land in this particular location and in my, around most subdivisions at the moment you'll find that there are more uh, releases to come. And not only one agent either. There's lots of agents. And so you can actually start talking to them and, and start to understand, okay, they all have access to the same stock. 
Yes. And then you start getting uh, getting a feel of, okay, that's why the prices are the way they are, et cetera, et cetera. So <laughs> it's just sort of peeling back the layers of this and understanding what's really going on. One major problem with focusing on the grants rather than the property is that buyers only look at brand new or they only look at house, you know, a block of land and, and uh, you know, building a house or mm. they look at the actual finished product or they go and only look at new apartments. They wouldn't have a clue if there is better value elsewhere because they're focusing on, I want to get my 30 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand, whatever it is out of the government. That's my money. I want that. (laughs) And therefore, they're actually funneled into this sort of weird, strange alternative reality and they're home not actually hell <laughs> they're not actually realizing home by hell it's well it doesn't feel like home by hell it feels like you're feels in a wonderland like money and you're in a wonderland because like mm. i can go and choose a brand new kitchen i get to choose that design or this design it all My feels so easy and wonderful mm. it's like going shopping for you know new clothes or something but the problem is it's like looking at brand new cars and not realising that you can get one, the very same model, it's 18 months old, only done, I don't know, 10,000 Ks for maybe $20,000, $25,000 cheaper. And that's something that first home buyers don't even know if they're trying to get the grants because they wouldn't and, and even And that look. is depreciation. Yeah. Right? So land appreciates generally if it's well located and scarce. Houses depreciate. Yeah. As do cars. The actual building is what depreciates, <laughs> which is why if you go and get an investment property, why you can actually claim the depreciation on the building, but you don't get any depreciation let's on the land. Let's not go down. No, not now. We're not going to that. <laughs> that will be for another episode. But here's That's a thing. whole new episode. That's a whole new episode. We won't, we won't, we're not, we're not winging it. We're not, we're not free. <laughs> we're not throwing in concepts here. <laughs> no, we're not free flowing here. No, <laughs> but what we are talking about is that when you buy a brand new property or when you build a brand new home and you get all those incentives, um, and we'll say this time and time again, and every probably episode at some point we'll say this, who's, in, who's the next buyer, right? So if in. There's your future market. If 5Ks down the road, there's another another subdivision that was completed two years earlier and so the houses have got, I don't know, they might have chrome taps, not black taps or something. They're just not quite up to the minute, you know, and they've been lived in and they look almost the same but they might actually be on slightly bigger blocks of land. And um, That can sometimes happen with, with subdivisions as they roll mm. out. Sometimes the land gets smaller but the price does. doesn't necessarily go down. Mm. Um, and, and so some of those older ones can be often better value. Often. And, and also the thing is you think about it. Say the government's given you $30,000 and you are only looking at brand new and you go, yay, I've got my house, I've paid whatever for it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm living it. It's all wonderful. Poor, you know, Fred and Mary down the road, they moved in and then 18 months later they got divorced and they had to sell the house. And they're thinking another couple like them is going to buy it. But the couples like them, they are actually not looking at Fred and Mary's house because Fred and Mary's house they don't get any grants, any incentives from the government to buy Fred and Mary's house. So all of those buyers that Fred and Mary would think, why aren't they buying my house? They're not there. They're not even looking. That's where I'd be looking. Because There's an absence of the buyer market. 
And therefore, there might be some therefore, good deals in there. If you yeah. really want to live in that sort of property, if you really want to live in that area, you need to compare because you might find that those, if you take out the grants, you might find the difference, you might find you better off. Yeah, it's, it's about keeping an open mind, isn't it? Mm. It's, I, I think the thing that we get quite concerned about is that if first-time buyers are incentivized only to buy brand new, which is um, all about stimulating the, the construction industry and keeping jobs in the construction industry, let's face it, that's that's been stated categorically. Um, that's what these grants are for. So if first-time buyers are only looking at brand new, then they're missing good value opportunities in nearby or better locations on established properties by missing out on or by not taking a a grant or an incentive, um, you could actually get a better property at a better price in a better location and therefore your long-term prospects with that property, your potential for capital growth will be much stronger than a property that is going to depreciate for some years before the the land starts to appreciate. Let me give you actually an example with a client that we had some years back and and it's in Sydney in Waterloo. There are loads and loads and loads of apartments in Waterloo. And she um, she had been she, she was Hong Kong Chinese, right? So she was and she's a lawyer, really smart girl. She had been here for some years and decided that she wanted to buy her first property. And she'd been looking at new, but she was sort of, she couldn't quite get herself organised. And so she came and spoke to us and she kept sending me these links for brand new properties. And I kept saying, look, we're not going to look at those for all these reasons, but she just really, really, really kept, she just loved the look of them, the idea of new. So one day we went out and I mapped out and I found in Waterloo, for instance, there have been developments from sort of 12 years earlier, probably when the first sort of building, the modern building had been built right through. So there's this 12 years worth of new development. And so we went, the first one we looked at was the one that she'd been, she'd fallen in love with on paper, right? I love this. I love it. I just want to go and buy this property. I said, we went and had a look at it. It was an 80 square metre, two bedroom apartment. It had you know, two bedroom, it had an ensuite, had a bathroom and, um, you know, kitchen, living, a uh, little balcony. So when we went into that apartment, I was like, yes, it's all brand new, it's shiny, it's gorgeous and everything. But you know what? Over the years, the developers have been cutting costs, cutting costs, cutting costs. And I'll give you some examples of how they cut costs. For starters, the older units, there was a separate laundry. Even if it was in a cupboard, it was mm. still separate. This right. one was in the bathroom and they yep. hadn't done any joinery around it to conceal it. It just was your washing machine and your, and your dryer in the middle of the bathroom, right? Another cost-cutting area, this building didn't have air conditioning. All the older ones, all air conditioned. This one didn't. When we looked on the balcony as to where you'd actually mount an air conditioning unit, condensing unit, you would have had to run conduit through the main bedroom into the second bedroom in order to be able to actually air condition both rooms. So that would have looked really ugly ugly and and added cost as well. The third thing that showed me that they were just cutting costs was that the little tiny sort of galley kitchen, so they didn't even have an island bench, nothing. Like it just was sort of like so bachelor pad, you know. It it was like this is a half, it just doesn't, it looks like a service No no stool seating area, which is really popular, you know, great way. 
just just a a, a minute minimal bench space and the argument the agent go oh but everyone eats out right yeah okay but there's something i'm not i'm not feeling the love for this apartment veronica what was it that she liked i because it was new because it was new what really killed it for me was we actually went and saw that we did it was a thursday night when looked at these and and i've I always get my phone out, look where north is, and yeah. the balcony faced east, which means only morning sun. They only had windows facing one direction. So there was no cross-flow ventilation. You know, there's basically, it's it's a cave. You know, it's got windows mm, on one side, this apartment, yeah. that's it. And it faced east and there was sort of a what looked like a nice green area in between it and the next building. But then the next building was eight mm. stories high and this particular apartment was on the second floor. It actually would never at any point of the day got direct sunlight into any part of it. Mm. So it never would have had a ray of sunshine hitting any part of this apartment. Right. Now, I said to her, you know, this is, this is important. Natural light is really important, she said. She said, but I work ridiculous hours I'm never here during the day and I'm like I don't care when you sell (laughs) someone that will bother someone so then I I I finally pulled her out of it she still wanted to buy it believe it or not dragged her out kicking and screaming I said right we need to go back 12 years in time I'm going to show you um in a way what this will look like in 12 years except for the fact that the one I'm going to show you is same price 40 square meters bigger so 120, oh, sorry, 30 square meters, but it was 110 square meters. Um, the layout was better. So the bedrooms were separated by the living space. So if you wanted to share, you got really nice separation. You got mm. one had an ensuite. There was another bathroom. Their laundry was in a separate room, like a proper little room. The kitchen was a little bit small and dated. So you'd want to update that. Um, it was had a lot more windows and the balcony faced out over like a, a really nice park. And you definitely would get, and it all faced north as well, so you get lots oh, and lots of I light do. in there. Mm. And it was air conditioned. Um, and it was the same price. It was just 12 years old. So the bathroom's a bit dated. The kitchen was dated. All she needed to do was update those. And she had a 30 square metre bigger apartment with a separate laundry and air conditioning. And better layout and better orientation. Better layout, better orientation, natural better light. outlot, mm. natural light. Now, she bought that one. I was really pleased, but she she must have had a good buyer's agent. Great buyer's agent, but she wasn't (laughs) looking. The point being, it was basically the same money. Yes, she spent a little bit money renovating it, but but she spent a little bit of money renovating having an apartment so much better. And that's just an example of what, in this case, if Anna's not looking in those nearby suburbs with the slightly older houses, Mm. then she'd be missing that. And in fact, I saw. And I did look at it in what else is available in the older areas of these subdivisions, in these suburbs, because some of these suburbs actually have older areas in the same suburb. Yes. And they were on a 1,000 square metre blocks, whereas the ones that Anna was looking at were at 450 That's square metre. Mm. Yep. And, and for similar money and with similar mm. features, you know, similar, same sort of number of bedrooms, bathrooms, uh, floor area, similar sort of money, but a bigger block of land. So keeping, keeping your mind open to all options is really important because you might get better value for money in an appreciating a, a property that will appreciate at a greater rate. Um, plus, 
then you'll know that you're actually paying a premium for brand new if you do that research and you do check out those established properties and you can have, and I want to go into that pricing discussion, Mm. Veronica, because it's such a big one and such an important one when it comes, when it comes to brand new property. Um, so when, when we talk about how to price a property and, and, and if you've done the free course on Home Buyer Academy free course on how to price a property, um, if you haven't, jump on there, uh, homebuyeracademy.com.au forward slash free course. Free course. Yep. Um, <laughs> so that, that teaches you how to price an established property. Mm. So a property that is an established area, it's not brand new. It is a resale property with a history um, and, and a lot of um, transparency in pricing in that sort of situation. But when we look at pricing for a new property, it, it isn't actually done the same way. You, you can't actually determine market value in the same way. It's really set by the marketers, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a lot hidden Um, so effectively, like you think about it, if you're a big organization and you're carving up a huge lot of land into blocks, you just set the price. It's a bit like going into the the supermarket and buying your milk off the shelf. It's, it's whatever a carton of milk is. It's whatever that block of land is worth. Whatever that car is priced at. Yeah. It's, there's not a lot of negotiation that goes on. Um, and if you do rely on sales data, it, can be misleading because there are there are a number of things that go on sort of under the table mm. that I'm not saying they're legal. It's just that they're no. not publicly disclosed. And one of them is, and I was talking to a buyer only the other day, literally two days ago, who was saying that she'd bought an apartment off the plan and she said, oh, you know, it cost me 580000 but I'm going to get a $20,000 rebate, but they won't give that to me until after I settle. And I said, well, you know why that is, don't you? And she said, yeah, I know. It's so that they can continue to tell everybody the blocks of land are selling at five, or the, sorry, apartments are selling at 580,000, but they're not actually. They're selling at Mm -hmm. 560,000. So if they actually manage to get a buyer who's not as good a negotiator as she was, someone else will pay 580. Yeah, well, it's setting a price. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually setting, setting a baseline and there are, there are other methods that developers use to, to set that baseline and we'll mm. talk about that in a moment. But yes. the thing that you will not find out, so you look at sales data and you get sales data from those automated valuation reports that you can generate from a bank site or brokers can often give you. You can look on realestate.com or domain and look at the sold tabs, look at, look at what um, price things sold for. But in many, many cases with brand new property, these rebates, um, whether they're to the buyer or whether they're to the referrers of the people who introduce the buyer to the property, these rebates are not recorded. So the price, you have no idea if the price you're seeing is the actual price that somebody paid or if there's twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars that has been rebated to the buyer or a referrer and passed on somehow, or um, and, and as you say, it's not legal, mm. but it is really misleading when you're trying to work out market value for a property. Um, and the other thing that we are very aware happens, and you 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 have to dig very deeply and have access to good databases to be able to find this out, is that um, developers will often purchase properties when subdivisions or, or new apartment complexes are released, they'll often purchase their own properties in a different entity to establish market price. And these are non-arm's length transactions. If you can't work that out and find that out, then you're using the wrong data to support or 
convince yourself of what you should pay for a brand new property. I've known some very uh, successful and wealthy uh, people who have fallen for this stuff. And mm-hmm. and to give you an example, it's where a developer in a, quite an exclusive suburb, so this happens in exclusive suburbs mm. right down the wire to, this to is not just first you know, time entry yeah. level, mm. that the developer's cousin uh, had a business set up and they bought these properties at about double the, squ- the square meterage, the, the dollar per square right. meterage of the previous record for the suburb. That then was fed to the media. Then the media was reporting record prices achieved. This, you know, that's like free advertising for their PR for them. And People how exciting. Locked in and and was like that was the social proof that they needed that these properties were worth what they were pitching them at. And they went in there mm. and they started selling them at this inflated price. And yes, sure, you could argue, oh well, the market was prepared to pay it, but the market was misled that that mm. was that, that there was precedent there for that. And this yeah. this and, stuff and happens. That's, that's the thing that yeah, and that's that's the thing that's hard to kind of dig in and uncover if you don't know that that might be, you know, one of the strategies that is being used to set set a, a price, a starting price, if you like. And and it, it also helps to create FOMO. So if you see that many things are selling and selling quickly, then you may fear that you'll miss out if you don't move quickly to, to mm. secure something. Um, but Veronica, valuers, valuers won't use, in, in many cases, they won't use sales of new property in their valuation because... They know that these sorts of things go on behind the scenes yeah. and, and they have no way of knowing what is a rebated sale, what is an arm's length transaction. And these are all really important things from a valuation methodology point of view to, to ascertain before you use a sale in a comparable sales methodology. Absolutely, because you've got to think about it. If you are buying an established property, then then there is such a thing as market value. And that is what other buyers are prepared to pay. And so it's sort of that's that's sort of how pricing gets dictated. And when there's a lot of buyers in the market, not enough stock, you know, obviously prices start going up. And when there's too much stock and not enough buyers, prices start going down. But there's this thing called market value. And that isn't the case when you're buying brand new, but it is the case when you go to sell brand new. Yeah, and that's yes. where it's a problem. It's, well, it's then established. Mm. It's it's no longer brand new the moment you settle, is it? And and that's where that's where the problem sort of comes in. And and th- that's often why valuers value lower than contract price mm. because they're not using that new sales data because it's not reliable, it's not independent, and it's not arm's length in, yeah. in a lot of cases. So back to Anna's um, challenge. I mean, she's basically she wants to take advantage of all the money that the government's prepared to offer, which, you know, I can understand the the, the it's lure, tempting. it's very seductive. Mm. Um, but the reality is the one that is probably the most important to try to take advantage of is the 5% deposit guarantee. Um, but And that is, amazingly enough, not limited to brand new property. So I would be putting all the others to the side, instead of saying, right, I can get all of this and then I can get all of that. It's like it's if you buy something that's worth less when you settle on it, then it's not really free money, you know. <laughs> so you have to sort of take that out of the equation, forget, try to shake it off and go, it's not free money, it's not free money, a mantra. It's not free money. It's that that what we there do There may need be an opportunity cost for, for taking that money. Massive opportunity cost. And so the big thing is to... to for Anna to do is to open her eyes, open her searching parameters and look at established stock. 
so that she's not actually funneled and got blinkers on and mm. only looking mm. at brand new. And also that what Megan was saying about, you know, working with the agent, actually com- conversing with the agent. And you know what? If she really, 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 really wants to buy one of these blocks of land, I'm pretty certain one of those, they've probably got multi-lists on all of these and any agent could probably sell them. Yes, so just go right. and find one that's going to be cooperative and work with cool. you and actually wants to help you. Give up on the one that's not returning your calls. There are other agents out there. And there's other pieces of land too. They're definitely, in don't fact, there's at least 80. 90, yeah, like, don't let that 90-day time frame push you in the wrong direction, the wrong property or the wrong price. So... We want you to buy better. (laughs) We passionately want you to buy better, okay? In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first home buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, which is homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review, five stars, please, because it will help others find us too. And thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. If you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.